0: You're listening to HSBC Talks Business. Learn how businesses like yours are leveraging a wide range of banking solutions to
1: maximize their success, and how HSBC is helping them. Thank you for listening.
0: Welcome to Inspiring Progressive Female Entrepreneurs podcast mini-series that seeks to empower and support women who are on the journey of growing and scaling their business. We'll speak with inspiring women about their stories and get practical advice from entrepreneurs who've been there before. This podcast has been created in partnership with Albright. Thank you for joining us. Thank you so much for joining and we're really excited today because we're actually joined by Pocket Sun as well as Nicole Denholder. So Pocket is one of the co-founders of SoGal Ventures, probably one of the most inspirational and really motivating female founder funds out there. And Nicole Denholder is the founder of Next Chapter Raise. It's a Hong Kong-based business. And coincidentally, Nicole has also worked with Pocket and SoGal Ventures just recently. So it's a really nice tie-up all around. Well, thank you so much, Pocket, for for joining us. Um, I don't know if you'd like to start off perhaps by introducing yourself and a little bit of background about Sogal and and, uh, your history there.
1: Yeah, sure. Hi, everyone. I co-founded Sogal Ventures in 2015, and I was 24 years old at the time, so it was really a wild idea for me to start a venture capital fund, and I did it out of my entrepreneurial urge um, because I was facing the issue that you're probably facing right now. When I went into any venture-related events or conferences or pitch competitions, it was always men, 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 men. So I decided to start a community to support women entrepreneurs just like me. And it was very well received and the community was growing. And very quickly, I realized that they all needed capital to grow. And it was an issue that I wanted to solve for people in my community because I know how talented, ambitious and hardworking they were, but no VC firms seem to be paying attention. So I saw this market gap. And so starting a venture capital fund became my first product. So we started a fund uh, in 2017 after having written a bunch of tiny angel checks to build our track record as soon as possible. We were able to launch a fund. We raised money from 98 investors from all over the world, almost reaching the 100 with the 99 investor limit by the SEC regulation. So our idea is really to democratize access to capital, investing, and entrepreneurship all around. So we want to fund the best of the best women entrepreneurs and create success stories that other women can relate to. and look at and point to and be like hey like I can be that one day and we also want to massively increase the pipeline for women investors so that more in like you know women are sitting on the other side of the table and making these critical decisions and currently 90 percent is you know men making these decisions and very few women are having uh, any say in it And on the other hand, we also want to increase the percentage of women operators, women board members, and women sitting highly on the cap table. So pretty much we are creating this overall ecosystem that enables women to really flourish and grow and to prove with numbers that investing in women yields superior returns. So that's a short story. But yeah, we launched a $15 million fund in 2017, it took us almost four years to raise that. So I know the difficulty of fundraising. And now we're launching a second fund, which is $100 million. Um, wow. So it's a significant jump. We're very excited for the next chapter. We are closing the first $20 million, uh, from mainly existing investors as we
0: speak. Perfect. Thank you. I, I think it's just absolutely extraordinary. I think back to what I was doing at 24, and it was nowhere near as incredible as that. <laughs> <laughs> it was very ordinary, let me tell you. Um, so Something that I think really sort of sets your fund apart is that you're really looking for founders with a purpose. You've described it as people who are really deeply connected to the problem they're solving. Can you tell us a little bit more about that? Why is that so important? And what does that sort of mean from your perspective as an investor? Yeah,
1: so what we are really into is what we call the rest of us. So as we all know, the infrastructure, the world we live in were pretty much all built by men. The rules are invented by men. And in the beginning, it was only men that played in these rules. And women only joined the game pretty recently in the past few decades. So we definitely don't have the leg up there. And we have a lot of work to do to rebuild and reshape the infrastructure and every industry and society as we know it, so that, you know, more diverse voices and more life experiences can be accommodated. So for example, like women's health is something that I'm really passionate about. I don't know if you know, but like pretty much all the -the over-the-counter drugs were never tested on women before they, you know, got into market. So things like this are everywhere in every single industry. So there are so many opportunities for people like us, uh, people like you to really step up and say, you know, I want to do something different. I want to create a different type of experience for people like me. So I think there's so much power in owning who you are, where you come from, and what you want to do for people like you. And that's what we want to invest in as a fund.
0: Fantastic. I love that. Owning who you are, I think that's really, really key. And you're so right. If anyone's read Invisible Women, it's just startling. Mm-hmm. Um, just how much of the, the world has been designed without even taking consideration um, sort of female, even genetics, you know. Continue on that sort of um vein then. You're a lot of the companies you've tended to invest in are really trying to promote social change. Um, why do you sort of gear more towards them? Are they sort of showing you in terms of being a business decision as well as you know, a greater societal impact as well?
1: Yes. So when we set out to um, create fund one, we talked about three main pillars. We wanted to invest in global first businesses. Uh, We wanted to invest in design driven businesses that are really designed based on a real need and are designed around the humans that are gonna use this product and service. And we also wanted to invest in community powered businesses that can really create this flywheel network effect and can generate greater good when the company becomes bigger. Um, And another thing we didn't mention uh, specifically as a pillar, but it came up throughout our deck was sustainability. So we ended up investing in a lot of uh, very much sustainability-minded companies. I would say we take impact very seriously, but we don't brand ourselves as an impact fund. And in fact, our first fund uh, scored $3 billion companies just in a matter of three and a half years and these are all women-led companies. They all have very solid business fundamentals, great revenue, great profit, great great growth. And so we are really proud to prove that, you know, investing in women is not just a, you know, a feel good project. It is something that creates real returns. And many of our companies actually became B Corps in the US, which means you prioritize social good before profit. But these companies are equally successful. They are, you know, growing equally fast. So I really think impact and profits or growth are not two separate things, they could go hand in hand.
0: That's brilliant. I think we um, perhaps will take a turn into sort of the more practical advice now. So I think the big question is, what is your advice to to founders who are trying to find the right type of investor to approach? And how do you find one that's really on the same page as you?
1: The first thing is to have the right mentality. Um, I think a mistake that a lot of women founders make is they kind of put themselves down in the fundraising process. They feel like they have to beg or they have to, you know, like try really hard to get someone to invest. And it's almost like asking someone for a big favor. And I certainly had that period before um, feeling that, you know, like asking someone for money is is a really overwhelming thing to do. And it, it takes a toll on me. But I think adjusting your money mentality is really important. Uh, I think as women, when we grow up, a lot of the times we have these myths and um, negative feelings around money. So I think Finding the root cause in what's causing you to feel apologetic about money and feel apologetic about uh, getting investors, that's a number one thing. And the second thing I would say is to to feel that this is a mutual opportunity um, because you are hardworking on your company 24 seven. Right. You are you're losing sleep because of this, you're losing hair because of this. So, who are you gonna make rich when you become a successful business? That is a question you need to ask yourself. And it's not, it can't be just a random person that you don't particularly like. And this is a a relationship that's pretty hard to break off. So you need to be as selective as the investors on the other side. And I would say. Talk to people that you trust uh, and ask for introductions. That's really the most effective way to find people that are on the same wavelength, Uh, people who know you, people who can recognize you and validate you. And you can also talk to other founders that you trust and ask them, you know, who are the investors on your cap table that you like and ask for intros shamelessly.
0: Do you think you need a warm introduction to firm, or is it okay just to, to pick up the phone and, and introduce yourself?
1: It is okay to do code outreach. Uh, we have gotten a lot of code outreach like, on a ba- daily basis, um, but having a warm intro almost never hurts. So yeah, and sometimes getting a warm intro doesn't even need to be like, you know, this Person who is introducing you really well. Like it could be just, you could code reach out to them on LinkedIn and ask them for an intro to someone else. Um, and it works. And I would say, um, yeah, you could actually um, find a portfolio company that is similar to yours or, you know, a portfolio company that's similar in your stage of this VC firm. And then you LinkedIn reach out to that portfolio founder and say, you know, like, I'm really interested in your investor. Can you make an introduction? Usually founders have, you know, like compassion for other founders. So they are more likely to to say yes and and forward your message to to the investor.
0: I think that's a really, a really smart tactic. What happens when you get rejected or discouraged? Because it's never going to be a journey of yeses, is it?
1: (laughs) Um, I've been there. So yes, it's a journey of no's Um, and, and that's okay. It's really a numbers game. People are not joking when they say it's a numbers game. And especially for women, we need to be more thick skinned. When we were raising our fund, it was really, really tough because we didn't have a product or service, right? Like we are a startup basically but we didn't have a product or service. So, we're really just selling ourselves, like our ability to identify good companies, our ability as fund managers, and it was not proven at all. So, we definitely have been through that phase and it was really hard. Uh, We got a ton of no's. Like, think about it, we got yeses from 98 investors. So, think about the lead funnel we had and think about how many no's we had to get to that 98 yeses. But it does get easier. Like, this time raising. The, the 20 million for our second fund. We did that in a matter of weeks um, instead of four years. So I think once you build the trust um, and relationships over time, it becomes much easier. Also, an important lesson I learned about no's is to don't stop there. Um, when you hear a no, take a deep breath um, and don't take it personally. No just means not now, right? It's not right for them right at this moment, but you could use this opportunity to ask the other person, you know, like give me some feedback or when will it be right for you? Or, you know, like, what are you looking for? Maybe I can introduce other deals to you and be helpful to you in a different way. And, you know, like in the end, that uh, mutual beneficiary relationship will reciprocate to you. And this person can introduce you to others. So I'd say definitely take take the advantage of no's because no's are better than ghosting you, right? Uh, and I do that a lot because we just get too many deals. But yeah, when you hear a no, take that as an opportunity because um, when they say no, they feel bad. Like normally people feel bad when they say no. So ask for something else. And maybe you will get, you know, another introduction or you know, some feedback that you needed um, or, you know, whatever you need at that moment. So yeah, no is a beautiful beginning.
0: (laughs) I really, really like that. I think that is really smart. And you're right. If you got 98 yeses, the number of no's must be quadruple. I'm I'm guessing. I'm I'm probably overstating that. But I I think that's a really positive way to think about this is that also that person is a contact, right? Even though they've said no. Pocket, I'm going to throw another question to you now. So now as we've talked about finding the right investors, All important, I think people talk about the pitch more than anything and they really get hung up on it. Can you tell us what is it that you're really looking for in a pitch and how can women really pitch with confidence? And and I guess we often hear those stories about how women founders are going to be grilled more on their revenue models, having to defend it rather have a male person or male going up to to pitch. They're often sort of grilled about how big can they be. So two very different perspectives um, on the people pitching. Do you see that? And is that something that female founders should sort of be, be thinking about when they're developing their pitch? Yes.
1: Um, so a good pitch is really the combination of arts and science. It's not, you know, just numbers. It's not just the story. It's somewhere in between. It's It has to evoke people's imagination and you kind of need to take them to a wonderland that they haven't seen before. And you need to do that with, showing you know how things are currently and if things keep going this way what are the consequences and then present your solution and what kind of dreamland this could take us all into and then you need to talk about you know the big market and you need to talk about you know why you are the team to do it you need to talk about the traction so far this is something I really care about. Um, You can say all the things in the world, but I want to see how much you are able to get done in what period of time and with what resources. So if you have, you know, an existing big revenue um, source, you have established partnerships, you have clients, you have customers who are, you know, waiting for your product, you, whatever you've done, really make sure you showcase those things. And we want to see the plan for growth. What are the milestones? What is the capital requirements for you to get to the next milestone? Is that capital intensive or not? Uh, and who else do you have around the table? Because being able to network and get people, good people around you is a very important quality for an entrepreneur. And I would say overall, you have to be more assertive than you're used to. Um, and but at the same time, make it inviting and very much a a storytelling experience. Yeah, and don't fill the slides with too much content, like leave space for imagination. A a very important tip is when you project your revenue, right? like project your revenue on where it should be or where it could be in the next three years, don't go too long. Like three years is just right. Um, And when you project your revenue, don't project it based on the resources you have now. Project it based on if you're successfully to raise the money you need now and the successful money, like the money you need next year and the money you need the year after. With this capital injection, where can you be? That is the number you should put on there. And don't be afraid to magnify it a little bit because that's what you're up against when it comes to male founders, right? Like, as investors were used to looking at, you know, this year 500K next year 5 million, the year after 20 million, like guys will say that all the time. And we know it's not always true. It's almost always not true, Um, but still people like investors want to see that, you know, this is where you see the business going and it's not gonna be 1 million this year, 2 million next year, 3 million the year after, like that's not exciting. For VCs, just because of how VCs run and
0: how we are judged by. Thank you. I think that's really great, and I think it leads neatly onto a question that that Nicole has. One of the things I find a lot of founders ask, we had this happen last week with two companies, was the conversation on company valuation came up, equity depending on you know the funds they were asking for, and just wondering what your advice is to companies when you kind of cover those topics.
1: Yeah, it really depends because. Again, it's a combination of art and science. It's not, you know, a hard. It's not hard math. Saying, you know, you're in this industry, so you are, you know, measured against this ratio. Sometimes, like a charismatic founder versus a, you know, a straightforward, more bland founder, like the like the valuation could be a night and day difference. Um, so, I would say. A basic way to think about this is how much money do you need for the next 12 to 18 months realistically, and then times that by at least one and a half or two, because you always need more more money than you think you would. And once you figure out that amount, that should be no more than 20% of what you're giving out um, as equity. So that should be your initial you know, thought about the valuation and how much you are raising and at valuation, at what valuation also sends a signal to the investors um, about, you know, how big you think you are, how confident you think you are, right? Because sometimes we see a deck and it's like a seed round at $50 million. You know that this founder probably is either, either an egomaniac, or this person has something special. So I would say, like, don't be too bluffing, which women rarely goes
0: there. Um,
1: and also, don't be too humble.
0: Um, so I think if let's if we think about the journey, and um, if you've gone through the pitch, right, you've sort of now established how much. And okay, great news, you're on board. What is it like? What should we be thinking about when you're actually working with your investors? How much of it is You know, how much involvement is there? How much can you expect for them to be sort of either giving input on your strategy or really trying to work with you as a founder? And, you know, sort of, you almost got almost like a different, a different boss now coming into the situation where you've probably only been the person in charge and the person leading and making the decisions.
1: Yeah, I would say definitely be top of mind for them um, because as investors, they might have invest, invested interest in a lot of different holdings, a lot of different companies. So get yourself into the habit of writing a monthly investor update is going to be super beneficial whenever they receive your update, whether it's good or bad, neutral, you're top of mind. And that is really, really important because sometimes they think of you and they make this one introduction and it could change everything for you. Yeah, definitely write the updates. um, And also get your investors to compete. Um, So like, you know, have a shout out section every time and say, you know, like, thank you Pocket for like doing this amazing thing for us. Like, and other investors will be like, like, I wanna be liked, I wanna be your favorite. (laughs) So, um, and then you give them an ask um, or several asks every, every month and give them an opportunity to contribute. There's always something you can ask them for. Um, and yeah, I think over time to show that, you know, this is what I said I was going to do. And here is what I actually did. Like, this is, you know, a very powerful way to build trust over time. So definitely do that. And then when you bring on an investor, you could ask them, you know, a few questions to, to see like, you know, how do you like to work with your portfolio founders? Do you want me to update you more or, or less? What is a good frequency? How much do you want to be involved? And what are the things you have expertise in that I could rely on you for? And yeah, play to their habits and take advantage of, of it because now that you know they're on your boat they should work for you so like once they once they invest the power dynamic shifts um they have very little control in you know what you do how well your business does and it is true that most not most but many of our investments would fail so yeah they 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 have a they're committed to making you successful you so you should Take advantage
0: of that. I think that's really great advice, particularly sort of talking about the shifting power dynamic and maybe playing your investors off each other for favoritism. I think that's that's always a good strategy. <laughs> <laughs> so I think just sort of to to close out, you know, you've you've obviously worked a lot in Asia. I believe you, you spent a lot of time in Singapore at one stage. What's sort of your advice and what do you think is sort of next for for sort of the VC world in Asia or sort of female founders? I know we're getting a lot more attention. I saw um, even though we had a measly 3% of funds went to to women last year, it is still going on the up and there's a lot more initiatives. So what's next for, for the people on the call here and how can they sort of position themselves to take advantage of those opportunities?
1: I think the big picture reality is that the overall, like the the amount of funding that went to women founders went up, but overall percentage kind of stayed the same. And that is, I don't know, very lame um, that whenever, you know, women get a bit more of the pie, like men get proportionally a bigger part of the pie as well. So the overall percentage just like stays very stagnant, um, but don't be discouraged because I think this year there are a lot more uh, women IPO stories, women unicorn com- uh, unicorn stories um, that are really inspirational and re- be proud that you are uh, a female founded company and don't um, see it as a disadvantage. Um, and if you are treated you know poorly by an investor or you're you know not respected, harassed or whatever, um, definitely speak up about it because the the tide has changed. I think you will get more uh, reports than before. And I would say definitely find a community that you can trust. So if this cohort, for example, you made some friends, Definitely stay in touch because your peers, your entrepreneur friends, are really your best resource um, for, for courage, for you know, sharing like uh, things you can't share with investors um, and things you can't share with your non entrepreneur friends. Uh, really find your support system and um, build uh, frequent communications with them.
0: Thank you, Pocket. I think um, I think that's that's really great advice, and it's something we hear a lot—not just in this segment, but in our cohorts in the UK and the US—is just about the fact that people. It's hard to relate to people who are non-entrepreneurs in terms of building your business and your friendships and sort of getting that network of support around you. Um, it's just something that I think is most definitely applicable here in this scenario too. I'm going to go to Nicole. Is there anything that you'd like to to share with the group ahead of that sort of you know bouncing off anything that Pocket has just said? It's interesting because I had a discussion with an investor this morning, and he said that male investors need to be trained a bit more around how to interact with women because of pattern recognition, that they're seeing a lot of men coming in, pitching, and they get used to interacting in a way. But, um, you know, I'd be interested in in your thoughts on that, Pocket. I mean, as women going in to talk to an all-male panel um, or a big demo day that's predominantly male, any tips around You know, I don't think we should be doing stuff differently, but maybe we need to be. It's really disappointing how you think about it, right?
1: Yeah, I think women's success stories are really not shared enough. Uh, We need to be sharing this because male investors don't see what we see. We need to increase representation. We need to support one another. We need to let the success stories be heard because like a lot of male investors, they see women founders as a homogeneous group. Mm -hmm. It benefits us and it it hurts us too, right? But the benefit part is when they see like other women being successful, they might all of a sudden be like, oh, women can do that. Maybe I should talk to Claire again, right? Um, So kind of creates that positive reinforcing Mm -hmm. cycle. Um, And... um, Yeah. Push for change. Like whenever, you know, if the press reaches out to ask you for a quote on, you know, what's going on with being a female founder, speak up, always speak up and be opinionated. That's okay. Like being a founder, you should be opinionated. Don't be afraid to to be transparent about your experience and uh, that might earn you more respect.
0: Brilliant. So thank you so much for your time today. I hope this is as useful and as inspiring, as informative as as it was for for me. Um, And I'm not even an entrepreneur and I feel fired up after this. So thank you so much. And a huge thank you, Pocket. Yeah, thanks for inviting me. You've been listening to Inspiring Progressive Female Entrepreneurs, HSBC's podcast mini series dedicated to supporting women on the path of growing and scaling their own businesses. To access more resources for female entrepreneurs, please refer to the description of this podcast.
1: Thank you for joining us for HSBC Talks Business. To learn more about anything you heard today, please visit business.hsbc.com.